Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's scripture is 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Thank you, Yaline, and welcome, and good morning once again, Redeemer Lincoln Square. I know many of you have gotten used to this virtual church thing, but let me try to assure you that we were created bodily. And that means we were created to be together in the flesh. And when we come together physically to figure out what it means to live together, that's where we're able to be the most human, the most alive. When, when Jesus was asked uh, the question, how now shall I live my life in uh, Matthew chapter 22, his answer was very simple. He said, love God and love your neighbors. Redeemer LSQ, our vision and mission and values, they all always boil down to loving God and loving our neighbors. And we're trying to be a community that's doing just that. We should therefore uh, not become comfortable staying away from each other. And we should not get used to it. Sadly, uh, this this past year, um, for many of us, that's, that's exactly what's been happening. Which is why we're in the middle of this series on the life of David. We're looking at 
his life to see our own lives, to understand what it actually means to be human. We need, we need that reminder. I recently read an article uh, detailing the rise of AI apps and programs called chatbots. Uh, and, that, and people are using them now to deal with their loneliness. Data is showing that the pandemic has only made us lonelier than ever. Uh, those rates were rising anyway, and they've just taken off even more in the pandemic. And we're turning once again to technology to solve our problems by, by talking to programs. Another article I read uh, recently detailed about a, a man in Tokyo who started offering online, I think it was June 2018, to uh, rent himself out to do nothing. That was sort of the title of the first post. And he sees about three or four clients a day, and now he's seen about 3,000 people since he's first launched his services. That people are so in need of somebody just to join them in an activity that they're willing to even rent someone but they don't even know. I think that speaks volumes about our culture and society. I think both articles reveal our struggle with relationships. We want them. We need them. We even have to have them. But we want them on our terms, with our activities, for our uses. And I think this is a reflection of, of when our values come down, what pecking order do we place our relationships? Now turn to David. I think what we saw last week was how David's life was transformed from joy in the blessing to now joy in the blesser. Right? He, he was first dancing because he felt like he had a blessing and that was misplaced, but now he was dancing because of the blesser. From using God to get something to having a relationship which is the something, which is the blessing. And it was the moment it began... And that, sorry, that all happened. It began the moment that he realized God was always a God of grace. And I think now what we're, what's happening is we're witnessing how this grace changes everything in David's life. Uh, it, it, it goes all the way into his personal relationships. And so the articles I just cited, they show us that we need to, today, right now, compare and contrast how we see people in our life with how David does. And so only two points today, what we learn about relationships from David and then how we can have relationships like David. I'll say that again, what we learn about relationships from David and then how can we actually have relationships like David? So first thing, what can we learn from, uh, from David about relationships? I think he shows us three things in this passage. First, integrity in relationships. If you go into our text, at this point in David's life, Saul and Saul's son, Jonathan, are dead. David has secured his kingdom. He's settling down. And so in verse 1, he asks, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now the reader will need to remember the rest of First uh, and Second Samuel that um, David had a very uh, important relationship with Jonathan. We talked about this, I think, about a month ago, uh, about David and Jonathan's relationship in 1 Samuel 18, 19, 20. In those chapters, David and Jonathan made a series of promises to each other or, or covenants. And one of the promises that Jonathan asked of David 
was that once my father is dead and you're on the throne, he said, remember me. Remember me. Show kindness to me and my family. And, and, but here's what's so interesting about promises, particularly made between two parties where one party is actually dead. If there's nobody watching over you to see if you are going to fulfill your end of the deal, why do it? Right? It's like a handshake deal between uh, two partners and one person dies. Who's going to know that that deal was even made? David has nobody breathing down his neck, no one to tell him to keep his word to Jonathan, but he does. Our English word for integrity actually is the same root word uh, that we use in math for the word integer. Integer means whole number because at some level it means it's complete, which is why the word integrity is the same thing. It means wholeness, completeness, not divided. To not be divided means to be the same in one situation as you are in another situation. And I think that's what David is showing us. He made a promise in one situation, but he could have easily just flipped. It would have been a lot easier not to continue on, but he stayed. Notice he asked for Jonathan's descendants in verse 1. Now, he actually gets no answer in verse 1. And what I find interesting is he didn't throw up his hands and say, well, I tried, I looked around, didn't find anybody, too bad, you know, you know, say la vie. He didn't say that. Instead, he, go, he goes looking for the answer. In verse 3, he asks again. In verse 4, he's still pursuing the issue. You can almost see the persistence on the part of David. Where is this person? How do I find them? Where do we get them? Let's get them. When you make a covenantal promise... David goes out of his way to follow through. That's integrity in relationships. I'm actually getting old enough now uh, in my 40s where a lot of my friends are having children. I'm getting to know these children. And it's an interesting feeling that I've never had before. That Essentially, I'm interacting with these children. I'm like, I'm in your life because I was committed to your father and so I'm going to be committed to you. Right? I'm not trying to get I'm not in <laughs> these other children's lives because I'm trying to get something out of it. I'm in their life because I'm in my friend's life and he's been in my life. David is 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 like, hey, I'm not moving on now that my friend is gone. I'm not looking to rent out friends. I'm not waving a hand at and say, you know, say, look, I tried to be committed to somebody, but I just couldn't find them and you know, it wasn't the right time or place. No, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't take the easier path, which to me is very convicting because it's, it'd be so easy here. His persistence challenges us. Are we committed to have relationships like this in our life? Where, where we go out of our way to be kind to them? We should ask ourselves very bluntly, do we try to hunt down these people? And not just them, but their children. <laughs> And and in and, 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 and other relationships to this person, do we love what they love? Do we care what they care about? I think we live in one of the most transient times ever. One of the most individualistic times ever. We live in one of the most transient cities in one of the most transient times ever. And the question is, is will we have integrity in our relationships? Because everything that's set up in our culture right now screams to us not to. 
At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Now, secondly, the second thing we learn here about um, relationships is proximity. Eventually, David finds the, the son of Jonathan alive, and his name was Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was lame in both his feet. We learn this in, I think it's 2 Samuel 4, uh, verse 4, where um, Mephibosheth was dropped by one of his nurses when he was five, and so that led him to being disabled. And now, he's not only disabled, he has no lands anymore because those have been stripped from him as from the lineage of Saul, now that Saul was deposed. And he's living an exiled life, a many days journey away in a, a place called Lodabar. And Lodabar translates to the phrase, no pasture. So this was a desolate place. And yet we're told in verse 5, David had Mephibosheth brought to him. But play that out in your head. You're disabled. You can't travel. Uh, you can't go anywhere easily. And you're called to see the king, the very person who dis- who deposed your grandfather. And it was the custom at the time then, and it still is today, that, that when you want to solidify your kingdom, you got rid of the threats that could possibly uh, come after you in your kingdom. The largest living threat would have been a direct descendant of Saul, and that person was Mephibosheth. Anybody who wanted to wage a coup against David would have rallied behind Mephibosheth. And so he is the number one per, persona non grata, right, in the land, where, which is probably why he's hiding out on, on the very edge of society in Lodabar, somewhere where there's nothing around, because he's trying to keep a low profile. And now the person who should be his enemy, David, wants to see him. In other words, Mephibosheth had every right to be afraid of David who wants to kill him. And David actually had every right to be afraid of Mephibosheth as a threat to his throne. And it would have been very natural for them that because of that fear, to stay away from each other because that's how the world works. That we're only in relationships with each other to use each other. We're only in relationships to each other to benefit ourselves. What other reason would David want to see Mephibosheth than to end his life? Having him around can't benefit David in any way. In fact, the mere presence of him is not only a hindrance, but it's a a real and present threat every day that he lives. And so on this multiple day trip to see David, you, you wonder kind of what Mephibosheth might have been thinking. Was he going to his death sentence? Was he going to to um, be put out of his misery. Because the world says, that you, you know, you live for me. He couldn't even fathom David potentially saying, no, I live for thee. 
because we only get into relationships today that profit us. We actually only we get out of relationships when they no longer profit us. If you're beneficial to me, I stay. If my church meets my needs, then I'll stay. If my city helps me get to my goals, well, then I'll stay. Let's hang. Oh, only if you benefit me. Oh, you don't? Okay, see you never. Let's not stay. Right, those are all... See, notice every example I just gave are all usury-based relationships. They're disposable relationships. We watch yearly our loneliness numbers skyrocket. We rent people out. We use technology to fake the feeling of connection, right? How many likes do I have? How many friends do I have? How many followers do I have? Thumbs up. You know, like, like, like. Heart, heart, heart. And yet nothing can substitute for the real thing. Nothing. Because the real thing is this. It's someone who stays. It's so simple. The reason why we're lonely is we don't have people who stay and we are not people who stay. Love always stays. Which is why love, by the way, is in some ways in contrast to freedom. Freedom is I can go wherever I want, do whatever I want. Love says no, I'm in. And so the question we ask ourselves is how many non-usury relationships do we really have? How many? Because real relationships means you put yourself in the proximity of other people who might not have a direct correlation to your profitability or your benefit. The default of our heart is to consume instead of commit, to leave versus to stick. That's the problem. It's to consume, not to commit. And so we need to ask ourselves, how many covenantal relationships that stick do we have in our lives? Or do we have just a consumer-based relationship with our church, with our friends, with our city, with our, with our family? Am I in it for me or am I in it for thee? And one of the ways to ask yourself is very sim- this question is very simple. How close are you really to them? How, what proximity? Have, have you kept them at arm's length? Have you kept them just over there? It was hard for David to bring Mephibosheth to his table. And guess what? It was hard for Mephibosheth to accept to be there, but they moved towards each other. Do you? Who do you spend time with that is costly but worth it? Who do you move towards? That's what it means to have real relationships, and we need to do that introspection, to be in proximity to others. Now, thirdly, third thing we learn about relationships here is power. If you're going to serve somebody, if you're going to commit to them, the parties in the relationship have to give up power. Remember at this point, Mephibosheth had nothing, no lands, no honor. His name in Hebrew literally meant shame. And probably because his family lineage at this point was over. I mean, that he had no lands. He was disabled. He couldn't walk. He couldn't defend himself. He had nothing to offer. But what did David do? A few things. First, we're told in the text, he gives back his family lands. This is in verse 7. That comes with honor and titles. Secondly, he says, you will eat at my table. Now, by the way, who gets to eat at the king's table? The king's family. In other words, I will treat you as my own son. And and most scholars say that at this point, um, Mephibosheth was probably in his 20s, so this was not some old person who was going to stay in the corner. No, he was essentially inviting 
him into a lifelong daily relationship. And I was thinking about this the other day. Do, what, do you think every day he wanted to see this man? Do you think he wanted to eat every meal with him? No. But he did it. He made the commitment. And then thirdly, it says Zeba uh, and his sons will now work the land to produce and, uh, and bring wealth from the land. In other words, see how complete this is. David at great cost himself took his power and gave Mephibosheth titles and lands, the, the means to make money, and then a place at his personal table. If you're going to be really committed to somebody, real friendship doesn't accrue power, it gives power away. Mephibosheth probably did have some, something to give up. He gave up his, his ability to a free agency. He didn't have to go on that long journey to come back to David, but he put himself in that proximity. He gave up the power of his own right to know how his life would go. Redeemer Lincoln Square. We say this often at our church. We say we're trying to be a church not for ourselves, but for others. Which means at some level, our, there's a calling in all of us to give up. The natural inclination is to, in our heart is to preserve, to keep. But to give is a distinctive of a committed heart. Our church joyfully reflects God's love together in the city by giving up power. By giving away our time, talents, and treasures. David did, will we? By the way, it's, e- it's easy to give power to people we like because it feels like just a transfer to other people who um, we would agree with. But David did it to somebody he should have killed, not crowned. Who are the people in our lives that you should kill instead of crown, but you give them a crown? Who in our lives... You should have killed, but you instead crown. Is that even how we think anymore? See, all I hear about right now is canceling people rather than canceling their debt. I hear more about cutting people down than cutting people in. Right? Who can we give to economically like lands and titles? Who can you and your relationships give relationally by inviting them to your table? Notice David is not just reaching across political barriers here. He's reaching across to a completely different tribe altogether. Mephibosheth, we're told, is a Benjaminite. David was from the tribe of Judah. These are different people groups coming together. Where are we doing the same in our personal lives? Who are you looking at and saying, I want you to be a son to me. I want you to eat at my table tonight. I want to give you wealth and honor. David's view of relationships with integrity, proximity, and power flies in the face of how we do relationships in every culture, in every society. And if we had the same views as him, I think we would be radically different in how we lived and ordered our lives, and the world would be radically different as well. So, last point. How then can we do this? Right? I think it's very easy to close t- today's sermon like this. How, you know, how can you do this? That's easy. Be like David. David gave up his power. He moved in proximity with others. He had integrity with other people. Go and do it. Let's pray. But if I did that, you might walk away from the sermon going, yeah, yeah, I, I need to do that. And in two weeks, you'll forget about it. Set, yourself, set a timer for a month from now 
and you, you won't be doing it. Why? Because this isn't easy. This is actually really scary stuff. As soon as you get near people, people are broken. People are messy. You're messy and you're broken. So you put them together and now you, have a, now you have a joint messy, broken relationship. Be in proximity with another person. What happens if they reject me? Guess what? Some of them will. You've been rejected in your life. I've been rejected in my life. What if they hurt me? Some of them will. You've been hurt. They've been hurt. What if I try to help somebody economically and I can't do enough? That will happen. What if, you know, what if, how do I follow through on, on my commitments even if they're hard? I mean, that's hard. Because here's what's going to happen. There are going to be better options for friends that will come into your life. What if I can get a better friend over there? Right? What if I can get a better job offer over there? What if I can get a better city over there? What if I can get a better spousal candidate over there? You and I are in, under incredible pressure to always be upgrading because our culture says if you do, you'll be happier, wiser, better. And the Bible simply says this is not true. Just not ultimately true. If you get close to other people, those people will question you, they will doubt you. They will hurt you, and guess what? You will hurt them, you will doubt them, and you will question them. That's what happens when you're vulnerable enough to be like David, to lose your power, to bring people to his table, to be vulnerable enough to be hurt by the powers of other people because of real relationships. And so just telling you, be like David, be like David, that won't work. It never works. And by the way, let me tell you another thing that never works. Endlessly screaming at each other on social media to, to beat each other into submission to our ethic, that doesn't work either to change a person. The only way I've seen change happen is when the heart moves to action. You can't push on the action. You, gotta, you have to push on the heart. And so what will work? Go back to verse 3. David sees his actions as part of something larger happening. He says, what I'm doing is showing God's kindness. And now the problem with the word kindness in English is it's a, it's a placated sentiment, but this isn't your average English kind word. This is the Hebrew word chesed, which means loving kindness. It's a particular kind of commitment that starts with God. Remember, David had just a few chapters ago had joy before the ark because the grace God shows David, the covenantal commitment of Echesed, comes into his life. When the Lord should have moved on, when the Lord had better options than David, he stayed with Hesed. And, go, and, and we can now start beginning to get into David's life. We'll see that he was not all that he was cracked to be. He had concubines. What was he doing with concubines? What was he doing with all his other wives and the, uh, and the wives of other men? And what was he doing with his own children? Everything that in his life, at some level, goes wrong. He doesn't have it all together. And we will see it will blow up in his face pretty soon. And yet, despite that, he's experienced something. Despite his failings, God has been and will continue to be committed to him. And it's only because of that, when everything else has fallen apart in his life, that he's able to turn around and do the same thing for Mephibosheth. Sure, David is showing covenantal faithfulness and grace to his friend, but he could only do that because of God's faithfulness to him first. 
And so if I could be really precise right now, the best portal for us to see God's faithfulness to us, it's not a gold box. It's not the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. It's not just a painting or some mountain or beautiful created thing. All those things point to Jesus himself. In the person of Jesus, God is saying, I am so committed to you. I am so committed to your flourishing, to your needs, and to your wants, and to your issues that I will love you so much that I cannot let you go. I will enter into creation myself to fix that creation. You don't do it for me now. I do it for you. And so now when we come to his table, not like Mephibosheth just acting like one of David's sons or daughters. No, we actually are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We, we don't just get land, we get him. And what he's saying to us, to broken people who look at porn, who get mad at each other, who like stuff more than we like other people, who care more about our jobs than the people around our jobs, he's saying to us, you can sit at my table today, no matter how lame you are, no matter how disabled you are, I will not break relationship with you. I will get close to you. I will give up my power. I will have full integrity to you so now you can do the same without fear. They may reject us, but he'll never reject us. They may shun us, but he will never shun us. There is a greater David in Jesus. David risked his life by keeping Mephibosheth alive. But the greater David, Jesus, gave up his life in order to keep us alive. David risked his life in his honor to keep covenant with Jonathan. Jesus gave up his life in honor to keep covenant with us. Friends, unless you believe this, you will never have the depth of emotional wealth that you will need to be with people for only them and not for what they bring to you. You also will never have the supernatural ability to bring the Mephibosheths of your life in unless you see that he's already done so with you. Think of the feasts Mephibosheth had with David over the years. Think of the parties. Think of the the food and the provisions. That is what is before us too. You've been invited to the king's table. You get to feast and eat and drink with the Lord Almighty. All the ultimate needs that you could possibly really ultimately have have been taken care of you in the person of Jesus. Guess what? That job opportunity is not what you ultimately need. Guess what? That, That spousal relationship that you think you need is that what you ultimately need? That, that, that going out to eat, to hang out with friends is great and as much as I'm looking forward to that, that is not what we ultimately need. He has brought you to the feast and now there's joy and mirth and gladness. Sit at his table and then you can invite other people to your table. The surprising covenant of God made with us and Jesus to, to stay with us will allow us to make surprising covenants with others. You know what's a covenant? Church membership is a covenant. It's saying, I'm going to be part of this body as broken, as messed up as it is, while, as, as long as I can be here. 
Marriage is a covenant till death do us part. Old, long friendships are covenants. Let the co- let covenants as an ex- move us in our lives out into other covenants. Friends, stay, feast. Why? Be in proximity. Have integrity. Giving up what we the power that we know, because He gave up His power for us. We can do all those things. Jim Elliot once said, "He is no fool." who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That is what is before us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a a good word. Uh, Seemingly innocuous, we skip over passages like this. And there's just such depth of commitment that we see David long past the relationships that have been in his life, still living out covenantal kindness, chesed. And he could do that because he had an expression of that with you. Father, we have the same in the person of Jesus. How little do we reflect on you? How little do we daily let you affect our lives to know that you lived and died for us? Father, if part of it is because we don't see our own need, we feel pretty comfortable with ourselves. Father, help us not to. Help us to see all the places where we fail people in proximity, where we don't move towards them. We don't give up our power. We don't have integrity in our relationships. And as we admit those things, as we see the fact that you've done that with us first, it'll slowly begin to change us to be men and women of integrity, to be men and women who slowly move out. Men and women who give our power, let Link Redeemer Lincoln Square do that. We praise things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.